This is the City of God podcast, where Christ meets culture. Welcome to the City of God podcast, where we are weekly exploring today's biggest cultural issues, all through the lens of God's infallible word. My name is Rob Pacienza, and I am joined by my co-host, John Rabe. John, great to see you. Hey, Rob, good to be with you today. And uh, I'm always excited about our programs, but I think today's program is particularly compelling because uh, which is this is part of our goal in the City of God podcast is to delve into things that are really uh, that are really you know hot issues right now that that people are sometimes confused about. We're going to be digging today into the issue of quote unquote Christian nationalism. If you read Twitter, I guess it's X now, uh, if you pay any attention to Christian blogs, if you pay any attention to Christian media, po- other podcasts, this has been a, uh, and, and more and more in the mainstream media, this has been a hot topic of conversation, Christian nationalism. But what you discover when you listen is that nobody really ever defines it. Nobody really knows what is meant by it. It seems like maybe it's a term that the left wing media has sort of adopted as a way of painting a bunch of Christians who are civically minded with a broad brush and sort of marginalizing us. But there's no question that with the intense interest in this topic, there's a real, there's a real need to discuss what is this idea of Christian nationalism and what do we think of it? Absolutely. It's really become, uh, you know, the two dirty words, yeah. you know, put together this dirty phrase. Yeah, they Christian don't like nationalism. either. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And as you said, it's, it's used to silence Christians, get them out of the public square. Uh, don't dare, uh, you know, mix your religion and politics together and, uh, you know, uh, kind of create this scare tactic to get Christians to remain silent. And we're joined uh, by uh, a new guest uh, to the City of God, David Bybee, uh, who's done a lot of research and reading in, on this uh, topic of Christian nationalism. Uh, David is a good friend of mine. He is also on staff at Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church as the uh, Director of Education. He is a has his Master's of Divinity from Princeton Theological Seminary and really has a great grasp on what I call reformed political theology, yes. which simply means how does our understanding of God, uh, how does our understanding of the faith apply to the political realm? And I don't think it's any secret that uh, you know people that have been tuning into this podcast or been uh, listening to various broadcasts from this ministry over the last. Uh, several decades knows that we want to take a stand in this cultural moment, that we've been taking a stand and want to continue Mm -hmm. to do so, that we do believe that Christians do have something to say about uh, uh, political life in this nation, that they do have something to say about government and uh, the role of government as it's been designed by God. And so we're going to talk about what Christian nationalism is, what it's not, um, and how do we really embrace a healthy, biblically honoring Christ-centered Entered Christian nationalism uh, that does not replace um, the kingdom of God with America, but mm-hmm. understands the Christian's role in America, the Christian's role in politics, the Christian's role in government. 
Uh, absolutely. There can be bad forms of it. There can be good forms of it. And we sort through all of that. I, by way of wetting people's appetites a little bit, I'm, I'm in the position of much of the audience in that before this conversation, I didn't know David Bybee. He's worked with you and, and for you and, and you know him well. I didn't. And we sat down for this conversation. And I'm telling you, honestly, I was blown away by this guy. I told uh, our producer, David Wright, and, and other people on the staff when we were done, I said, I've enjoyed that conversation as as much as anything that we've ever done on this podcast. He's just outstanding, a wealth of knowledge, communicates it well, and really has passionate uh, and great insight into this particular issue. This will really help to focus people and open their eyes and give them clarity on what is going on with this issue of Christian nationalism. Absolutely. And as a teaser, we've already talked about part two. That's how uh, robust this yes. conversation was. So without further ado, uh, to talk about Christian nationalism in this current cultural moment, we welcome our guest, David Bybee. So today on our podcast, we are joined by David Bybee, who is the Director of Christian Education at Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church, and today also joined by my co-host, John Rabe, and we are talking about a very hot topic uh, in the church today, in our nation today, and that is the topic of Christian nationalism. I think uh, it's important, first of all, for those people that might be listening that are new to this conversation and this topic, um, can... can can one of you help define uh, and kind of help our audience with the phrase Christian nationalism? What what does it mean, and and maybe why is it such a hot topic right now? And by the way, if we do define it, that takes all the fun out of yeah. the discussion because <laughs> right. that's actually what's been going on that right. I've seen, and that's why I want David to speak to this because he's got so much expertise in it. But you go on Twitter or whatever, it's the, oh, Christian nationalism, and that, that's sort of the term du jour used to uh, marginalize and frighten people, you, whatever that is, you don't want any of it, um, but nobody ever actually defines it. So if we define it, we're, we're you know, three quarters of the way there already. But David, I'll, I'll, I'll leave Rob's question with you. How, how would you define it? I think this is an initial difficulty, particularly given uh, sort of the contentious context where this topic of Christian nationalism has really emerged, I think, out of the, the political chaos that we've seen in the last many years. Um, there are a number of people who would say they are Christian nationalists, but do mean very different things. Mm -hmm. I think on the one hand, there are individuals who may want explicitly a Christian theocracy. Um, you certainly have Catholics who would want to see a Catholic official government. Um, that's certainly not what I am ultimately after. I think you have a number of Pentecostals that would claim to be dominion theologians, hold to a kind of Christian nationalism. So there are a bunch of different streams of thought that I think are really being figured out and discussed even right now and articulated uh, in this new context. I think basically what I would say, if I were to consider myself a Christian nationalist, is that as a Christian, I understand that biblically, God has given the government a specific and a defined role, and that God has ordained government to fulfill that task in obedience to God. And so that means at some basic level, if we live in a world where God has raised Jesus from the 
dead and has set him on a throne in heaven, that government should acknowledge that fundamental and basic fact that we have to recognize God if we are going to pursue genuine good and justice uh, in the world. We're nationalist in the sense, I think, because simply we live in a context with nation states. We are not globalist mm -hmm. in that sense. We see global bodies really robbing power from, uh, you know, individual nation states and from their representatives. We don't want to pursue a globalist end. We want all people to be represented by godly government in their particular nation. So everything you said, I go, yeah. yes and amen. So why, why is everybody so upset <laughs> right. and just freaked out about this idea of Christian nationalism? What, what is going on in our cultural moment that has Christians up in arms about this idea of Christian nationalism? And, and it seems to me that it starts with the issue of theocracy. And again, that probably requires some uh, definition. But as you mentioned, David, there are the like the, the Catholic integralists. And, and again, nobody, anybody listening has not actually met one of these out in the wild. Like it's a, it's a, a, a rare phenomenon in certain academia and, and on Twitter, uh, but it does exist. But there are those who want to put a denomination or a church or um, some cleric in charge of the, the government. But most of what goes by the name Christian nationalism or has been tagged Christian nationalism is not that. And we're not talking about that. So what is the how does the the issue of theocracy play into this? What do we mean? You did a good job, I think, David, of explaining what we do mean, and that is, hey, Jesus is Lord, and that should be acknowledged, and by the way, was often acknowledged by the founders of our country. Um, so that's one thing, and that's not necessarily the same thing as, quote unquote, theocracy. Correct. Um, I think even talking with my wife about this, I think this is her assumption is that if we were to have a Christian or achieve a Christian nation, that that would result in bearing the sword to maybe enforce conversions mm. or to force upon people religious convictions that they don't have. Um, I think that fundamentally misunderstands uh, even simply the purpose of law altogether. Um, rather, I think the you know, uh, God is the Lord of the conscience. Um, the law doesn't have the ability to determine someone's inward moral disposition. It does not have the authority or the power to change a person into a Christian. The purpose of law is to establish true justice to enable a functioning society, to, to specifically protect the innocent from being harmed in ways that God would not want them to be harmed. And so I think in the the first case, uh, to speak in terms of a theocracy where we are coercing non-believers uh, to positively act religious, that's not what we're aiming to do. Rather, we're saying if the government is tasked to bear the sword as God's agent of wrath, that means that we have to determ determine what is good and what is wrong based on the principles that God himself has revealed, um, specifically because Jesus is, in fact, king of all kings. He is Lord and Caesar is not, which means that every Caesar ultimately has responsibilities to God. Um, like George Bush, for an example, when he is judged by Jesus, he's not only going to be judged in terms of his individual sins, which he happened to commit. Right. He's also going to be judged on the basis of what he did as a president sure. uh, relative to what would be righteous to do or not. So I'll be judged as a father. We, we, 
we are we are not abstract. We have responsibilities and That's roles. Good. And so I think we want the government to do specifically what God intends it to do. Importantly, just to add, I think most people assume that a Christian governance would result in all kinds of more laws, all kinds of right. additional restrictions being added on. But I think that's fundamentally incorrect. If the government is supposed to defend the innocent and bear the sword against evil and particularly violent evil, um, we believe that the government is doing far more than it should. Um, why should you ask the government for permission to cut your neighbor's hair and to receive payment for that? Yeah. Why, why is it that when you've paid off your mortgage, you still owe property taxes and all of your property can be seized so long as the government determines to do that? It seems to me that the government is actually far more involved in areas which God has not yeah. given them the right to be involved with in the first Game. Yeah. Amen. So let's go back to this uh, this idea of definition. And, and we're right. We, we started with a healthy definition, a good definition, what we mean by Christian nationalism. Uh, let's let's unpack some of the maybe the misunderstandings of, of Christian nationalism a little further. What, what we don't mean. I, I think it's important for our audience uh, to have a healthy understanding of Christian nationalism. We also have to have a, a good understanding of what we don't mean by it. And, and there's a lot of ways in which, uh, you know, th this phrase Christian nationalism is being misunderstood and misconstrued. Um, so let's talk about maybe the first one, uh, what we don't mean by Christian nationalism. What we don't mean is that we are replacing the kingdom of God with America mm -hmm. and replacing the gospel with just um, America. Yeah. yeah. Just, and, and political ideologies. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about that. Now, let, we, we, can we all three of us say when we talk about us being Christian nationalist and advancing a, a, a Christian nationalist uh, kind of ideology. We're not replacing the kingdom of God with America and the gospel with political ideology. Absolutely not. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. we can't. Absolutely yeah, and why, why is that dangerous? I mean, I know that seems obvious, but help, help, help we, because we are seeing this, you know, in some circles. We have seen this throughout history uh, where people have equated the, uh, the kingdom of God with America. Why, why is that important that we clarify for the church and for our audience? That's not what we're talking about here. Well, I think in the first case, um, uh, the desire to see our nation acknowledge Jesus uh, to to kiss the sun, as Psalm 2 says, um, is because of the gospel message itself, um, that God has done something definitive in history in, in raising Christ from the dead, in placing him on the throne. And Jesus commissioned us saying that all authority is there for his in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go baptize the nations and teach the nations to obey what I have commanded you. So in the first case, I don't think that we can make a one-to-one -one, uh, connection between an individual nation state and the kingdom as such. Right. Uh, the kingdom is a heavenly kingdom. It is made up specifically of all believers throughout all ages. Um, and so the, the church is first and foremost in all of this. But I think fundamentally, when, when an individual is converted, that changes every aspect of their life. They're now going yep. to live it, recognizing Christ as Lord. And that has implications for how I vote, how I conduct my lives. So 
things begin to change and even political systems will change um, right. when the gospel encounters a person's life and therefore begins subduing yep. things to the will of God. So on this show, advancing a healthy understanding of Christian nationalism is not a one-to-one -one comparison between the kingdom of God and America. We're also not saying uh, that the either the state is over the church or the church is over the state. Why is that important, John, yeah, to make that it, distinction? Because a, that it's such an important distinction. And this is one that the founding fathers understood well, but we don't understand well today. They recognize, you know, as in the words of John Adams, uh, who is who is there at the birth and the second president of the United States and integrally involved in all of it, said that, uh, you know, our constitution is designed for a religious and a moral people. It's wholly inadequate to the governance of any other. And so a self-governing people required a spiritual foundation. It required the church and so the founders believed in a healthy church, a church that was healthy without government control, without government interference. And that's why they gave us the First Amendment that said, Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or the free exercise thereof. Government is going to keep its hands off of the church. The founders also recognized that the, the power to tax is the power to destroy. And so mm. they did not give the government power to tax churches. And that's that remains true even to today. Uh, and so they recognized inherent in that is this idea of sphere sovereignty, that the, the church and the state are complementary. They uh, fulfill very important missions, but that is not the same mission. And so we don't want to conflate those two missions as well, that uh, the, it is not the state that holds the keys to the kingdom. It's not the state that enforces orthodoxy, though, again, Christendom is gotten that wrong uh, occasionally throughout the, the centuries. And by the same token, it's not the church that punishes criminals and executes people, and they, they have separate roles. And so keeping those roles distinct, but also not in, in no way saying that this, this distinction means that Christianity uh, should be isolated from the state, that Christians should have nothing to say about uh, government policies, that, that the church should have no input into what the state does, is absurd and it's it's contrary to what was the first 150 plus years of American uh, practice and history uh, only really beginning to change in the 1940s when the Supreme Court went back to an obscure letter from Thomas Jefferson uh, to the Danbury Baptist Association where he said, okay, there needs to be a wall of separation between church and state. By the way, he was saying that to the Baptists to assuage them and their concerns that the government was not going to interfere with them. It wasn't to assuage the government that the church wasn't going to interfere. But uh, the 1947 in the Everson case, the court brings that understanding. It, it remained in our law really up until about this year when the current Supreme Court has finally started to take us back to some sanity. Um, but it said the church and the state are completely separate. They never shall the two meet. And that's a, a drastic misunderstanding of what needs to happen. I, th I think this is fundamental to the problem uh, that, that both Christians and non-believers have with regard to the topic of Christian nationalism, because I think both of them misunderstand the concept of the separation of church and state mm -hmm. and the notion that there is a government sphere and that the church is a separate uh, sphere. Um, 
you know, the the separation of church and state was a Protestant doctrine. Mm. Like this was developed by Protestants in attempting to articulate um, what is the proper role of government coming out of the the Protestant Reformation, right. where mm-hmm. it, you know, in light of the the religious transformation, you see years, I mean, a century of religious right. war. I think liberalism, uh, as it as it emerged out of that, is also trying to solve this problem, and it mm. does so by saying that we actually have to keep all of God completely separate from government, that that the church has no authority to even speak to these particular issues. And I think a lot of Christians have adopted that notion as well, that that somehow Christ is Lord, um, but the workings of government are somehow beyond his purview. Yeah. He has nothing to say. And, separate, right. the, separate the separation of church and state right. was to protect the state from the church, not the church from the state. Mm. And I also think to be consistent, I know we all uh, you know em- embrace uh, sphere sovereignty and Kuiper's understanding of uh, cultural Christian cultural engagement. I think to be consistent with Kuiper's understanding of sphere sovereignty is to embrace a healthy understanding of Christian nationalism. Yeah. I mean, we, we have just talked here and we've made it super clear on this podcast by using the phrase Christian nationalism. We're not making a one-to-one comparison between America and the kingdom of God. Uh, We're not saying that the church is over the state. We're not saying the state is over the church. What we are saying, it's impossible to separate Christianity from our understanding of what it means to be a citizen of our particular nation. It's impossible. It's impossible in the framework of sphere sovereignty. It's impossible to separate Christianity from um, from our, you know, our citizenship here in America. We believe that Christianity is the leavening force. It is the moral compass. It is the guiding star of our nation, always has been for 250 years, and to separate it would be disingenuine at best. I love your comparison that you made or their illustration of George Bush. Uh, He cannot separate his faith from his office of president. And why would in the world would we ask anybody that is a a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ to separate their living, functioning, their their exercising, their citizenship as an American citizen? Why would we ask them to separate their faith and their belief in the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord of all? It just seems absolutely inconsistent. I think it also... A big part of what we're dealing with is a misunderstanding of the storyline of the Bible. I think a lot of Christians think about their life and say, I, you know, I'm doing spiritual things yeah. for God and all of the mundane temporal business of daily life and governance is not part of that. Um, but God created us specifically to have dominion yeah. uh, through wisdom to bring about flourishing in society and the development of the world from a place of perfect immaturity in the garden, but now he's he's bringing us to full maturity. He's bringing us across time to true wisdom. So I think a lot of Christians look back and say, man, Christians didn't do this right in certain circumstances, and therefore we should leave government to the people who don't acknowledge Christ. And I think, no, there are ways in which we have gotten things wrong because we, as all people, are actually learning how to act wisely in every which way. So if there is a Christian, uh, n- if we become a Christian nation, um, there are different contexts that we need to address today. There are different problems that need to be addressed today. And we're going to learn from what came before. We shouldn't be merely doing what we have done previously, but we certainly cannot abandon 
the governance of a nation to only non-believers if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Yeah, I mean, Joseph certainly didn't uh, didn't uh, say, well, I'm no longer going to recognize Yahweh in the court of Pharaoh. I mean, Daniel certainly recognized Yahweh in the court of Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, these were men that served as incredible examples in the Old Testament of living in the world, but not of the world. Uh, but it was lordship theology, this understanding that that God is Lord and sovereign over all, even over Pharaoh, even over Nebuchadnezzar. It, it allowed them to function in a world that was hostile. So I think we're actually doing the church such a disservice to tell them to retreat, to yep. check their their faith, their Christianity, and understanding of the lordship of Jesus Christ at the door when it comes to thinking through uh, politics and thinking through implications at the local, state, and national level. And, and this is why I think what both of you are saying is extremely helpful because you, David, really touched on the problem that we face today, and that is that compartmentalization that, that really kind of comes out of the liberal theology, but where Christians today very often compartmentalize life. And it's not just Christians, it's the culture. Everybody does. Well, this is my this is my work life, and this is my personal life, and this is my gender life, and this is this, and this is that. And all of them are in separate compartments. That's a very uh, current and, and modern, really postmodern way of thinking. So you've got that infiltrating the church on the one hand, this, this, and, and then you have Christians who really don't understand how to put all of this together. They recognize that that Jesus makes claims, but they, they don't really know how to put that together with the rest of life, and they're maybe not getting help on that all the time from, from their leaders. And so where you both pull it together, for me, the, 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 the central point in all of this is the Lordship of Christ. We talk over about all things. Yeah, over everything. We talk about sphere sovereignty. And again, that may be a term that not everybody is familiar with. It comes from Abraham Kuyper. But the, the essential idea is that God has created different spheres of authority. Um, and they are distinct. They are often overlapping. They interact with each other. But, you know, the, the, the church is not the state and the family is not the church or the state. They are, And yet they all have their role and they all often overlap with each other at certain points. So there's these spheres. Of spheres of authority, but as you just said, Rob, the, the key to all of it, and what Kuiper said, is that Christ is Lord over all of them. Jesus Christ, who is sovereign, is Lord over all of them, and he's the one who looks at every uh, every inch of creation and says, that's mine, that belongs to me. And so uh, pulling it all together, I guess, we have to recognize, yeah, the, the, cha the church and the state are not the same thing, but they both have a role given to them by Jesus Christ, and they are both accountable to Jesus Christ. And I think that's the thing that's missed that you're pointing out with George W. Bush or whoever. You are accountable to Christ as a magistrate if you are a magistrate. Whether you believe that or not, you will report to him. I think I think another thing to consider is that this is this is the foundational claim of our constitutional system mm. is that, you know, I, I saw I believe it was Anthony Blinken works for the Biden administration the other day saying that the American Revolution had the same principles of the French Revolution. Mm -hmm. And of course, he would want that to be the case. Yeah, of course. Um, right. That it's pure reason. Remove God from the picture. Very convenient um, argument. Yeah. It is convenient when then you you fund all of the scientific funding. You uh -huh. own all of the, the priest class in society, which is today the professionals and the scientists, if they get to determine where things go, then of course. But no, we fundamentally believed as a nation that rights are given by God to all 
individuals because they are God's image and that government exists specifically to protect them. I think what what I hope for Christians to begin to see uh, is that the promise of a neutral government or an irreligious government is a lie. Um, it's not a question of whether or not we will have blasphemy laws or whether or not we will uh, institute specific religious uh, values. When, when a government um, says we will not cooperate and we will not return your runaway child because you will not affirm that this boy is actually a girl. Mm -hmm. And so we are going to take this child from you and we are going to transition them. That is not a neutral government. That is a government that is specifically committed to a particular theology of the human person and is, is enacting state sanctioned kidnapping to enforce that particular religious view. So I see Christians so often, um, it sounds very pious, right? Where they'll say things like, even if they destroy your family and take your home and ruin your job or take your kids, well, you still have Jesus and therefore it's okay. In one sense, sure, you do still have Jesus. And that is really true. Mm -hmm. Um, It's easy for a Christian pastor and theologian who has a safe job and a taken uh, (laughs) care of family who is not in danger of facing just these sanctions to say that to godly men who cannot even speak about what they believe without fear of having their entire life ruined. We live in a religious system. Mm. It's just a question of which God are which, we going to worship? That, religion. Yeah, that is absolutely. such a key point. It's not whether, but which. which. And that's the thing that people need to understand. There's always a God at the center of the system. There is always, we, you, no matter what, you live in a theocracy. Yep. It's just a matter of which God that you're obeying and which God that you're reporting to. That's a, such an enormous point. Absolutely. And just in case people miss what David just said, uh, this is this idea that it, it's okay as long as we we have Jesus, this, yeah. the, regardless of what happens in society, regardless of whether, whether secularism advances or not, that it's just okay that we belong to the kingdom of God. And when we die, one day we're going to go to heaven. This is being taught. It's called radical two kingdoms theology. Yeah. It's being taught in reform seminaries all across North America. I mean, this is this is influencing uh, the future pastors and pulpits all across uh, Western civilization. And it's influencing writings and books and ministries. And it's something that we really need to be aware of. And the teachers who are doing that, as you mentioned, it's even happening in some reformed seminaries, are actually saying, and not dancing around it. They were actually saying the government was designed to be secular. Uh, one of them wrote a book called The Secular Faith. And yep. they will actually tell you, these are reformed seminary uh, professors who will tell you, oh, no, no, uh, the Bible was written. The, the the principles of God were given to us for spiritual edification. They're for the church. They have nothing to do with the state. Um, and yet that kind of is also a common understanding among uneducated Christians who just think, well, you know, we, we are citizens of a kingdom that is spiritual and that is to come, and that has nothing to do with what's going on here. But that really twists up what the the Bible actually has to say, doesn't it? 
I, I think so. I think, uh, you know, most Christians, when they think about what did Jesus come to accomplish, they think appropriately, but very limitedly uh, about the question of forgiveness of sins and being saved from the wrath of God. Jesus did achieve our forgiveness of sins and has saved us from the wrath of God. Amen. But the fall occurred within a much broader context. God gave humanity dominion and Satan comes into the garden and tells Adam or and Eve and then uh, together with Adam they take the fruit that God wants to keep dominion from you right seize yep. this fruit and take it for yourself um the result of this of course is that humanity is enslaved ultimately to sin um so when Christ came he he did come in order to provide forgiveness from sin but this also has cosmic ramifications with regard to dominion of the world yes Jesus and John 12 says, now is the judgment of the world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast down, but I, when I am lifted up, will draw all people to myself. Um, when, when Jesus redeems us from our sin, this also means that Satan has no further claim or authority over us. We're transferred from a domain of darkness into light. Um, Satan is cast down from the heavens because the accuser of the brethren now has nothing to say. So when an individual is redeemed, they are forgiven, but this is the means by which Jesus is reclaiming godly dominion, which he intended to begin with. And that aspect of this, the political dimensions of the gospel are largely forgotten or, or just pushed to the side by Christians. I think it's missing the center of the story. Thank you so much for joining us today uh, for this episode, talking about Christian nationalism with David Bybee on the City of God podcast. If you enjoyed this episode in particular, please pass it along to family, friends, and anyone that might enjoy uh, discussing this issue in particular, all through the lens of God's infallible word. Thank you once again for joining us and may God richly bless you. The City of God podcast is produced by Coral Ridge Ministries and made in partnership with the Institute for Faith and Culture. Visit us at cityofgodpodcast.com to access all of our previous episodes. You can also listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, or anywhere you get podcasts. A full video version of this podcast is available on YouTube. This is the City of God Podcast, where Christ meets culture.